Matthew chapter number 21. While you're turning there, be in prayer for Brother Eddie as he uh, traveled to Livingston, Texas and is beginning revival this morning with Brother Don Goodwin. Um, I believe it's the Beach uh, Creek Assembly of God. And uh, I know they have a Facebook page so you can check them out this week as our uh, children are being dismissed to their class. But be in prayer for him that the Lord would help him and anoint him there and give him traveling mercy while he travels um, back and forth throughout the week uh, there and travels back home um, the weekend. So be in prayer for him there and uh, be in prayer for us this morning as we endeavor to fill this platform and, and do the will of God. I tell you, folks, you've heard some preaching in the past couple of weeks. Brother Eddie has been hearing from heaven. God's been talking to him, and he has been doing some phenomenal preaching. And I uh, got to listen to Brother Nail on Wednesday night. I was actually out of town on business, but back in my hotel room, I was able to listen to him and uh, preached a phenomenal message that blessed my heart. And so uh, I am thankful for him. I haven't got to know him very long, but the time that uh, I have got to know this couple fell in love with him, and we are so glad that the Lord has brought him our way. And uh, whether it's two months or three months or ever how long the Lord has them here, I am so thankful that our paths have crossed and they fit in like a glove with us at Bible Way, and we're appreciative to them. In Matthew chapter number 25, we're going to begin our reading with verse number 1. And it reads as this, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise, five were foolish. And they that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. And while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there not be enough for us and for you, but go ye rather to them that sell, and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. And afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily, I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. What a sobering verse, verse number 13 is. Watch therefore. For you know not, or neither the day nor the hour, where the Son of Man cometh. Man. I want to preach, if the Lord will help us this morning, on this all the complacent life. The complacent life. Tonight, if the Lord will help us, unless he changes directions this afternoon, I want to preach on the consecrated life. We're going to deal with two different and two opposing lifestyles. So don't let me run you off this morning in part number one. Come back and get part number two tonight. 
Amen. But I want to preach that the Lord has so stirred my heart these past couple of days on complacency in this hour. I'm going to deal with the complacent life. Father, we love you this morning. We are so thankful for your spirit that we have been made to feel. You are a great God and you're greatly to be praised. I'm asking now, oh God, for the unction, for the anointing, for the empowerment of the Holy Ghost to rest upon me this morning as always. Father, I have no talent, I have no ability, I have no giftings outside of you, but with you, by you and through you, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm asking now for the anointing. God, may the anointing that I have felt in prayer, may the anointing that I felt as I've talked to you and you have talked to me, God, with that same anointing, fill this house this morning. God, and would you do the work I cannot do? I can save nobody, but God, you can save everybody. God, I can touch and deliver nobody. But God, there's never been a man, woman, boy, or girl that you've not been able to change. I pray, oh God, this morning that the change would come not only to those that may be lost under the sound of my voice, those that may be lost over the, the live stream, but God, those that are lukewarm and complacent in your body, would you shake us and you stir us all, oh God, that we may awaken out of the complacent state that we're in God, and we may burn bright for you. Be with us now. God, anoint the message. Anoint the hearing of the word. And we'll be careful to give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. In Jesus' name we pray it. And the church says amen. And amen. In Matthew chapter number 25, Christ gives us a parable of the last day church. Now, Christ, when he would speak, oftentimes he would speak in parables or he would speak in short stories that were uh, that everybody that would hear the story would know exactly what he was talking about. He would use a common, uh, a very common story, but it would always have spiritual significance. And so when we read this story, it may not mean a lot to us in common terms because our customs are a little different than what they were in Jesus' day at a marriage supper. The marriage ceremony and the marriage setup is, is much different in our day, but to those that he was talking to, they knew exactly what he was referring to when he gave this story. But there is very deep spiritual significance in the word that Christ was speaking here. For the ceremony of a marriage was an extravagant event. Both the bride and the bridegroom were attended by many friends and family, much like we are today. But they would be escorted, both the bride and the groom, in uh, like a, a carriage, so to speak, in a cart that would be carried on the shoulders of staves. Thank God we don't do that anymore because I don't know many people that would have been able to carry me down the aisle. But they would uh, get in a cart, and men and women would be under the staves of that cart, and they would escort them into what was called the marriage ceremony. And the marriage ceremony would take place in the house of the bride. So the bridegroom would come, and he would um, meet the, the bride, and the, the marriage ceremony would take place in the living room of the house of her father. The marriage ceremony would normally last seven days. Thank God customs have changed. Seven days would be a large feast and a large ceremony celebrating this couple. And when that particular feast was over, they would then get back in the carriage 
and the people that brought them into the marriage ceremony would then escort them back to the house of the groom. And then there would be part two of the marriage ceremony. And you got to do it all over again. You celebrated with the family of the bride. And then you celebrated with the family of the groom. And oftentimes, and it's even mentioned in biblical times, you can find it in Jeremiah 7, Jeremiah 25, and Jeremiah 33. The trip from the bride's house to the groom's house would happen at night. They would wait till sundown. They would wait till evening. They would send them off for the big meal. And then they would uh, travel to the house of the groom. Many friends and relatives would be there and uh, waiting for them to come home. And whether it was a five minutes journey or whether it was a five hour journey, it mattered not. The ones that were there to receive the bride and the bridegroom, when they would get close coming down the road, there would be a scout or a lookout that would be uh, looking for the bride and the groom. And finally, when they were getting close enough, there would be a cry that would rise up and say, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go out to meet him. Go out to receive him. And all of those that were there, they would take their vessels and they would take their lamps and they would begin to dance and they would begin to celebrate and this couple and they would uh, usher them and uh, escort them into the house to where a second ceremony would take place. As a matter of fact, some of these same customs still go on in eastern countries today. I, I read a story of a modern missionary that uh, told the story of how that they were in a certain community and a marriage ceremony and a marriage feast had, had taken place. And uh, they were leaving the house of the, uh, the, the wife's family. And they were coming to the house of gro the groom. And something happened that delayed them. And what was supposed to be a couple of miles journey turned into several hours. And finally at midnight the cry came that the bridegroom cometh. Go out to meet him. And then they had to trim their lamps and they had to uh, be prepared to go out and to usher them in. And he said it was then that this story jumped to life to me to see the, the gravity of the situation. To see the, the wonderful parallels and the wonderful parable that Christ was talking about. For you see, this story was more than just a parable or a story that Jesus was referencing. It's more than a historical occurrence. But this is a parable that Jesus spoke concerning the condition of the last day church. And I believe that I can prove to you through Scripture in just a moment as we look and we dissect these verses that this indeed is a picture of the church in the last hours. We can see this by examining the virgins in our text, number one, they were all virgins, which denotes their purity. They were all pure. And listen, folks, there's only one way to be pure in this rotten world, and that is to have had an encounter and a relationship with Jesus Christ to where you were born again and birthed from above. I'm telling you, folks, this world is absolutely rotten. As one preacher said, this world is so rotten that a turkey buzzard has to fly, hold its nose when he flies over it. Amen. And that's pretty rotten, I can tell you that. This world is sin sick and this world is wicked and the only way that a man can be pure, that a woman can be pure is to have a right relationship with Christ. 
All of the self-help gurus in this world can't produce purity in the life of the believer. All of the, the, the modern gimmicks and games, none of that uh, can produce purity in the life. Only Christ uh, is able to do this. Uh, not only were they all uh, virgins, but the symbolism here. Uh, Christ, we know many times in scriptures uh, that the bride of Christ uh, is uh, uh, referenced to as a chaste virgin before Christ. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 2, uh, Paul is writing, he says, For I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband that I may present to you uh, as a chaste virgin to Christ. Uh, Paul himself likened the church uh, to a virgin, one that is not spotted by the world, but one that is pure before God. Amen. All ten of these were pure. Number two, they were all gearing up to meet the bridegroom. Our text says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven shall be likened or shall resemble. The meaning is when the Son of Man returns, it shall be as in the case of the ten virgins in a marriage ceremony, the coming of Christ to receive His people. Uh, to himself is often represented under the similitude of marriage. The church being represented as a spouse or as bride. The marriage relation is the most tender, firm, and endearing of any known on earth. And on this account, it suitably represents the union of the believers to Christ. Christ, the bridegroom, will never be yoked with this world. It'll never, he will never be yoked, amen, with a sin-filled, rotten world. The only thing that Christ is going to be yoked with is his church and those that have been born again and birthed from above. So these virgins are not pictures of hell-bound, hell-bent sinners. But these virgins are those that are pure and that at one time had received the invitation. The bridegroom has come and go to meet him. I always preached it. That the five wise were the church and the five foolish was the world. That can't be the case. They all had the same opportunity. They all had the same invitation. They all had the same ability and the same opportunity in front of them. Amen. This is a perfect picture of the church. Number three. At one point in time, they all possessed the oil. At one point in time, all ten of them had oil in their vessels. It doesn't take very much Bible studying to know that oil is a representation and a type of the Spirit of God. At one point in time, all ten had the Spirit of God. At one point in time, all of them had received, amen, the Spirit. In Exodus 25, verse 6, we know what it says of oil. Oil is for light. Spices for anointing oil. And for sweet incense. Listen, we know that God is light. And in Him, there is no darkness at all. We know that it's God that provides the anointing. It's God that provides gifts. And God is a sweet savor that makes this rotten world bearable. So we know that oil represents God in His fullness. And at one point in time, all ten had the Spirit. They all received the call from the bridegroom. At midnight, the Bible says, a cry was made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. 
All ten had the same invitation. All ten had the same opportunity. All ten had the same privilege to hear the call. But there was a major difference in their response. There was a major difference in the response and that's where the story shifts. All ten up to this point was on equal ground. All ten looked apart, dressed apart, and was gearing up and supposedly looking for the same event. The bridegroom cometh. But when the bridegroom actually came, it's then that the tragedy unfolds. It's then that we see the different response. Verse number 7 says, Then all the virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the wise, excuse me, the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answer, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and for you, but rather go to them that sell and buy for yourselves. Listen, the difference between these virgins is that five were committed and five were complacent. Uh -huh. Hallelujah. Five had foresight to plan ahead and five were caught up in the present and living in the here and now. Five had the earnest expectation of readiness uh, for the bridegroom. Uh, and they made sure that their eyes were dotted and their T's were crossed. Uh, they had their lamp. They had their oil. Uh, they had everything ready. Uh, but five were caught off guard uh, and taken unawares. Uh, amen. We see the tragedy unfolding. Uh, all ten had the same opportunity. Uh, but five were committed uh, and five were complacent. We're preaching to you on the complacent life this morning. We see the jubilation unfold for the committed. And we see the tragedy for the complacent. In verse number 10, while they went out to buy, the bridegroom came. While they were trying to get everything ready, while they were trying to get prepared, it was then that the bridegroom came. And their preparation was too late. They that were ready went with him to the marriage and the door was shut. And afterward came also the virgin saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Oh, you see, folks, this is more than just a story. This is more than just a parable. But this was a, a message that Jesus spoke that spoke to the condition of the last day church. How do you know that? Because if you want to understand chapter 25, flip back one chapter and go to chapter 24. You see, when men and women, as they were inspired of God, uh, they didn't br break things down into chapter and verse. Uh, it was all one long letter. It wasn't until the canon of Scripture, uh, and it wasn't until uh, uh, later that things began to divide uh, uh, the Scripture for better understanding. Uh, but if you want to really understand chapter 25, uh, go back to chapter 24 uh, and look at what was happening. Uh, amen. Uh, when uh, uh, the, I don't have time to read it all. But if you turn back to Matthew 24 verse 3, the disciples come to him and said, tell us what shall these things be and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world. And Jesus begins to tell them. He said, take heed, no man deceive you, many shall come in my name, saying, I'm Christ, shall deceive many. You hear wars, rumors of wars, see that you be not troubled, all these things must come to pass. 
Nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes and divers places. And all these things are the beginning of sorrows. You go on down, read verses, the verses, many false prophets shall arise, shall deceive many, many shall be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Have you ever seen a more divided world in which we live in than this one? People hate each other because of how they voted at the ballot box. People hate each other. I read something this morning. I may get in trouble. But for months in the past couple of years, We've had uh, uh, the, the, the Black Lives Matter flags and it has been hailed by politicians uh, and we can't say one thing about that. Uh, well, in California this weekend, there was a Black Lives Matter flags, uh, uh, flag flying uh, and somebody just wrote on a, a poster board, uh, White Lives Matter too. Uh, and the mayor come out uh, and wanted to arrest the person that wrote the slogan, uh, White Lives Matter, uh, and said that such divisive tone and rhetoric uh, has no place in our country. Listen, folks, uh, it matters not if you're white, black, red, yellow, purple, purple, uh, with pink polka dots. Uh, Jesus Christ loves you the same. Uh, black lives are no more important uh, than white lives. Uh, white lives are no more important than black lives. Uh, amen. I'm telling you, God is colorblind, uh, and all ground uh, is level at the cross. But you got one count, black lives matter. One count white lives matter. And if you turn them loose on a back alley somewhere, it's going to be a bloody dangerous thing. Nation against nation. Many are being offended. False prophets shall arise. Then it gets down to Christ is telling about his second coming. But as in the days of Noah were, so all shall also be the coming of the Son of Man. From the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving a marriage. In other words, they were complacent to the lateness of the hour. They were complacent to the urgency of the hour. And they knew not until the flood came or took them all away. Two shall be in the field. One shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding up the meal. One shall be taken on the other left. Watch ye therefore, for you know not the hour. Your Lord doth come. In these verses and everything that I have read to you, Christ paints a picture of what the world would be like at the coming of Christ. He paints a picture of what the world would be like. Then immediately in chapter number 25, He shows a picture of what His church would be like. In Matthew 24, He's dealing with the world. In Matthew 25, He's dealing with the church. And in this, he says that there's five. There's ten. They're all virgins. They all look the same. They all dress the same externally. They all look, they look the part. They all live under the banner of Christianity. Listen, you ask uh, much of this world today what religion they are, they'll tell you they're Christian. And the next second, they'll cuss you out for everything that you're worth. And if you give them a second, they'll shake you and they'll take your money and everything else you got in the process. 
No more Christian than a man in the moon. Uh, but in America, it's, uh, we're, we're, it's popular in a lot of places to be Christian. Uh, listen, folks, this thing goes deeper than a profession. Uh, and this thing goes deeper uh, than what you ascribe to. Uh, amen. Christ was very plain uh, and very explicit in what he said. Uh, they were all virgins. Uh, all ten. Uh, amen. Had the opportunity. Uh, but five of them were wise. Uh, and five were foolish. Uh, five were ready. And five were unprepared. Five were committed. And five were complacent. The complacent life. Compare the settings in Matthew 25 to the church of our day. I've got five points and I've got to hurry very quickly. I'm not going to tarry on each one very long. But I want to draw the parallels of where we are in present day. To the, to the message Christ described in Matthew chapter number 25. I'm not here to preach to you politics. I'm here to preach to you the gospel. Amen. Number one, the hour for the virgins were late. It was late in the text. And I've come to tell you the hour for the church is just as late. It's just as late. The Bible says at midnight a cry was made. Behold the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. Midnight denotes lateness. It denotes an hour of ease. It denotes an hour of complacency when men and women are asleep. It's a time of comfort and ease if you're in a place of comfort and ease. And midnight is an hour of great peril if you're outside of the realm of safety. Be on the streets in some of our urban inner cities at midnight. You wish you weren't. But be at midnight at your house with the door locked and the heat right about on 70 on a cold winter's night with blankets wrapped up. No place better in the world. Complacent. We see at midnight the hour of which the story takes place. I just read into your hearing. What would be going on in the world in Matthew chapter number 24? You read those first several verses and every verse that I've read into your hearing this morning, you reach, read or watch Fox News or CNN or whatever news source you want to read and the headlines, amen, are reading out to us Matthew chapter number 24 day by day by day by day. Folks, we are there. We are on the brink of this thing being over with and being finished. We are living in a late hour. We are living in the closing seconds of the midnight hour. We read chapter 24. We see the scriptures unfolding right before our eyes. The word of God is being fulfilled every day and every night. And the sad thing is, is that the world doesn't care. And then they're swallowing the lies of the mainstream media and propaganda hook, line, and seeker. Amen. And I, but I, this morning, I'm not here dealing with them. I'm concerned about the church that's doing the exact same thing. I understand why a drunk man couldn't care less about the clothes and hours of this thing but it blows my mind why so many in the profession church are in the exact same boat when we are living in the last of the last days it's midnight it's late 
You want to know what the virgins were doing at midnight? Doing what most sensible people do at midnight. Unless you're praying and seeking God. Nothing much good's happening at midnight out on the streets. I understand folks work night shift, but I mean, most people are asleep at midnight. You want to know what many in the church are doing in the spiritual midnight hour? They're asleep at the helm. They, like the virgins, are complacent and asleep. We must be spiritually awakened. Paul writing to the church of Rome in Romans 13 said in that, knowing the time, that now is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. He writing to the church of Ephesus, Wherefore awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead and Christ shall give thee light. Verse 16, redeem the time because the days are evil. In these verses he gives two commands. He told them first to wake up and then redeem the time. For you see, in Scripture, awake has three meanings. First, it means to awake naturally as the virgins did at midnight. It means to arouse and to wake up out of slumber. But secondly, it literally means to sober up and return to a form of sensibleness after being drunk. It means to awake from your stupor. Awake, amen, from the sleep of drunkenness. But third, it means to watch. We as a church must wake up. We must realize the lateness of the hour that Jesus is soon to come. We must awake ourselves from the stupor, amen, that the world has placed us in. We must awaken from our carelessness and our complacency and watch for the coming of the Son of Man. For the Word of God says to them that are looking for Him, He will appear the second time without sin unto salvation. He's calling His church to Awaken and to watch. Not only does he say to watch, but he says something very important that we as a church must get. He says we must also redeem the time. Something very interesting, Brother Nell, because once time is gone, it's gone. The word redeem means to ransom. It means to buy back that which is lost. But Brother Daniel, when time's gone, I can write a check for a billion dollars and it'll bounce like a basketball, but I can write it all day long and try to buy back yesterday and that check is worthless. All the money in the world could be pulled together in a fund. And say, I want to buy back something that I did yesterday. But you can't buy back time when it's gone. The best thing, the best definition of that word to redeem the time. Simply means to stop wasting time. Quit letting time pass you by. 
Quit letting the days pass without getting things right with God. Amen. Quit letting days go by without getting in an altar and giving your heart and life to God. Quit stalling. Quit wasting time. Now. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time of the Lord. Wake up. It's not going to get any better. It's only going to get worse. Amen. It's only going to go further downhill. You've got to get right with God. You've got to pray through. You've got to have the blood of Jesus Christ applied to your life. Redeem the time. I can't change yesterday, but I can quit wasting time today. And I can give my life to Christ and live for Him the rest of my life. Awaken from your slumber. Redeem the time. Number two, not only are we in a midnight hour like the virgins, the return of the bridegroom for them was imminent. The return for our bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ, is imminent. Imminent. Every virgin knew that the bridegroom was coming. They just didn't know when. You ask the professing church, most that live in a sound doctrinal church, whether they're really right with God or not, they'll tell you, Jesus is coming. When is He coming? I don't know. We don't know the day nor the hour. We are in the same exact shoes as the, as the virgins in Matthew chapter number 25. We all know that Jesus is coming. We've been preached it to all our lives that He's coming. Oh, but we must be prepared. At one point, they were all dressed up. They were all excited and notice all went to the right place. They know where to go. They knew where the, the bridegroom was coming. Most of the church knows that they need to be in church on Sunday. In America, Sunday night and Wednesday night, that's debatable. Tuesday night, prayer meeting, that's definitely out. But on Sunday morning, the mega churches will be full. They know at least one time a week they need to be, they knew where to go. But when day turned to evening, oh God, and the evening turned to dusk, and dusk turned to night, and night turned to midnight, the night revealed that some were not prepared. The night revealed that there were five that were foolish. They knew the time, they knew the place, they knew the season, they knew that it was imminent. But they were careless and complacent in that they let the oil run out in their lives. Listen to me, folks. Just as sure as the bridegroom came in Matthew 25, and there were five wise, and there were five foolish, Jesus Christ is soon to come in this hour, and His return is imminent. It wouldn't surprise me before I finish this sentence if the trumpet doesn't sound and gravity lose hold on the, on the church, and we arise to meet Him in the air, and those are aren't prepared are going to be left. We know that it's imminent, but I'm afraid that there are many that are not prepared. I'm afraid that there's many that are complacent. I'm afraid that there's many that has grown careless. They know Jesus is coming, but they're so enamored with things of this life that they have grown comfortable and they have grown complacent. At midnight, he came. You can say, preacher, I've heard that all my life. 
So have I. Does not change the fact that he's coming. And it does not change the fact that we're closer today than we were yesterday. Preacher, how do you know he's coming? My Bible reads that God is not slack, Brother Daniel, concerning his promise. As some men count slackness, but as long-suffering to usward. It's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But, at the, but the day of the Lord, notice what it says here. The day of the Lord shall come as a thief in the night. The day of the Lord, the one we've all been looking for, is going to come as a thief in the night. Oh, God help us. Midnight. Midnight. It's going to come when many are asleep. It's going to come when many are unprepared. And many are going to miss out. At night, we must be ready. Number one, we see the, loud, the lateness of the hour. Number two, we see the return of the bridegroom is imminent. Number three, we see that many are unprepared. Or unprepared. In this story, there are two distinct groups. He shows us a group that is literally on fire. A group that has the flame going and has plenty of oil to keep it running. And he shows us a group in which the fire is going out and they're feeding on ashes. He shows us a group that's full of oil. Shows us a group that's void of oil. While they all know Jesus is coming, one group is ready. One group is not. One group makes it in to the marriage supper and one group is left. Oh God. On the outside looking in. Close. Close. They were right there, but they missed it. Many sit on the pews that are the exact same way. They hear the message. They sing the songs. They put money in the offering plate. They love their pastor. But when it comes down to it, they're not spiritual people because the oil has gone out. They're not full of God. There was never a time, amen, when they, the flesh was emptied out and the Spirit of God filled their vessel and they stayed full and they stayed prayed up and they stayed washed up. Watched up. Listen, there's going to be many that cry unto Him, Lord, Lord, in that day and said, Lord, have we not cast out devils in Your name? Lord, I've done the work of the church. I was religious. I saw great signs and I saw great manifestations but he's going to say depart from me you worker of iniquity oh my God that's speaking to the church it's more than being called a Christian Listen, folks, it's more than being baptized. It's more than speaking in tongues. It's more than shaking a preacher's hand. It's more than signing your name on the church card and joining the church. All of those things are admirable and all of those things are right, but none of those things, amen, will make you and exempt you from being on fire and in a fervent relationship with Jesus Christ when He comes. God help us. We must be prepared. Amen. We must be prepared. In this story, half were unprepared and missed the marriage supper. I know that this may be hard and heavy. But I'm worried that most 
of the professing church is not really ready for the rapture. And I believe that I have scripture to back up that statement. Because in Matthew chapter number 7, verse number 13, it says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. This easy, easy believism, this cheap grace, uh, hyper grace that waters everything down. Uh, you can have Jesus in your sin too. Uh, amen. Just, uh, uh, just all you got to do is profess Christ uh, and you'll make it right on in the pearly gates. Uh, listen to me, folks. Broad is the way. Uh, uh, broad is the gate that leadeth unto destruction. And many there be that go in thereat. Because straight is the gate. Narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. I had a man tell me one time, he said, you're preaching hard, you're preaching straight. He said, I differ with you on something. He said, I believe the reason that the United States of America isn't recorded in Scripture and Bible prophecy is that America has done more for the gospel than any other nation. And America's all going to be raptured out. That's why we're not mentioned anywhere in symbolism or in type in Bible prophecy. I said, sir, you are a fool. I said, the nation that has aborted 70 million plus babies since the institution of Roe versus Wade. The nation that spits in the face of God and in His Word uh, when He says that this marriage is defined as one man and one woman. Uh, amen. Joined together in holy matrimony but says that Adam and Steve uh, has the same right as Adam and Eve. Uh, amen. Don't think for two seconds America's not going to face uh, the same judgment of God uh, that any other heathen nation in the world has faced. Uh, a nation, uh, yes, that has done more to propagate the gospel, uh, but I can tell you we're a nation that has done more to pollute uh, other nations. Uh, amen than any other nation in the world uh, with pornography uh, and all kind of lascivious sins uh, amen listen uh, America is not going to be exempt uh, and the church of America is not going to be exempt uh, we must be pure uh, we must be holy uh, we must be right uh, and we must be prepared to meet the Lord when he comes the bottom line is that these virgins were acquainted with the bridegroom but did not love the bridegroom. For if they truly loved him, it didn't matter if it was at midnight, if it was one o'clock, four o'clock, ten o'clock, or if it was two weeks from now. Brother Nail, they would have done everything in their power to be right and ready. It didn't matter when the bridegroom. But listen, folks, it don't matter to me if Jesus comes today, whether he comes 50 years from now, or whether he don't come in my lifetime, every day I wake up, it's going to be with the earnest expectation that the day could be the day. This could be the hour. Now could be the time. We must be ready. Number four, this is a personal experience and bears personal consequences. Notice the Bible says that there were ten virgins. It was a collective group. It was a church, if you will. But within that collective group, every single one bore the consequences 
for their decisions. All ten didn't get a pass because of the five that were wise. And all ten weren't doomed to be discarded because of the actions of the foolish. It was a one-on-one -on -one personal experience. And they all were held accountable for their own actions. Listen, it matters not. We've got a beautiful group of people. But you're not going to be able to answer for me. And I'm not going to be able to answer for you. Mom and daddy's not going to be able to answer for you. It don't matter how holy they were and how many prayers they prayed. When you stand before God, you're going to have to give an account for your life and I'm going to have to give an account for mine. There's going to be some that are wise that Jesus is going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joys of the Lord. Oh, but the calamity of all calamities. There's going to be some that are foolish. Yes, they sit on the church pews. Yes, they listen to the message. Yes, they knew the songs. Yes, they put money in the offering plate. Yes, they did good works, but they were not prepared. Oh, and there's going to be five that are foolish that's going to be left out. Oh, my God. Amen. Every individual bears the consequences for their own decisions. By the way, is blessed with the best pastor this side of heaven. Thank God for Pastor Eddie Sullivan. And he preaches some of the greatest gospel messages that you'll hear anywhere in this world. But all of his preaching, amen, and all of his sweating and spitting and screaming, and all of his anointing, when you stand before God, all of that's going to be gone. You're going to be judged on your response to the gospel. Every individual bears the, their own consequences for their own actions. Number five, and I'm closing with this. If I didn't feel this in my heart, Brother Nell, I would, I'd preach something else. Yeah. If, I, if, I, if I didn't feel this in my heart, Come on. I, I'd, I'd stop right here, but I can't. Uh -uh. In chapter Matthew 25, the five unwise, the five foolish, they dealt with the reality of a closed door. Right. Wow. Brother Nell, they knocked on that door. Yes, just on the other side of that door. Uh -huh. just, just on the other side. They could hear the sounds. Uh -huh. They could smell the aroma. Yeah. The fried chicken. The banana pudding. All the wonderful marriage feast. Their mouth was watering. Yeah. They could smell the aroma and the perfume. They were there, knocking on the door, opening to us. I'm ready. But they did not make it in because the door was shut. For the virgins in this parable, it was a door to the marriage supper for a couple that was married. But for you and I, it's the doorway of grace. It's the doorway of opportunity. It's the doorway of mercy. It's the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today the door is open. Tomorrow that door may be shut. But, but, but preacher, I've read in the revelations that there's going to be 
some rapture of some saints and there's going to be some people that may, and, and I've read the Left Behind series and there's going to be people that make it out in the, repu, uh, in the, the tribulation. I can have my head cut off uh, and I can make it out. There's still a doorway of opportunity. If you can't live for God in the day of grace now, uh, what makes you think you're going to be able to live for God when grace uh, is no longer extended? Uh, when the door uh, of grace is shut, uh, you better not hope uh, on an opportunity where you can lay your head on a chopping block. Uh, you better get in an altar this morning uh, and make things right with God uh, and cry out, oh Lord, uh, I'm a sinner. Uh, oh Lord, uh, I need saving. Uh, wash me uh, and cleanse me uh, now uh, and I'll be ready when you come. The picture of the shut door. Kirsten, come help me. I'm done. You can find it in the book of Genesis. I've shared it a, a couple times. I'm not one of these that have visions and dreams and all this kind of stuff. But if there's one time, that, that there's two times that come to mind where it's like the scales rolled back from my eyes and God showed me something. I was praying, getting ready to preach a message one time in prayer on a Saturday afternoon. And I was in my bedroom praying. The Lord was dealing with me to preach on the flood. Likening that to the return of Christ. And as I was there, Brother Larry, it was like the floor rolled back. And it was like I was there in Noah's day. When the door was shut. Noah and his family was in the safety of the ark. When the door was shut, the raindrops started falling. Flood, the water started rising. And it was at that moment in time where I could begin seeing people, Brother Larry, going up, trying to knock on the door of that ark. Noah, let me in. I'm sorry for ridiculing you. I'm sorry for mocking you when I laughed at you for 120 years when you said rain was coming and we never even seen a cloud in the sky, much less a drop of rainfall. I'm sorry. I began to see the waters that, as they began to rise and I began to see mamas as they were carrying babies uh, and husbands uh, as they were trying to uh, propel their wives to get onto the ark. Uh, and, oh, but it was to no avail. The door was shut. Uh, the, the most vivid thing in my mind uh, is I remember seeing actual claw marks uh, on the side of that ark uh, as men and women were trying to claw, uh, claw their way into the ark of safety. Uh, but the fact of the matter was uh, is that no Noah didn't shut the door. And Noah wasn't going to be able to let them in. God shut the door. He deemed the day of grace was over. He said, I gave you 120 years of opportunity. 120 years. Every time a hammer hit the nail. Every time the saw made a shriek as I went through the wood. I was preaching to you. Judgment is coming. Rain is coming. Get on board the ark. You had opportunity. You had a chance. And you mocked it. And you ridiculed it. Your day of grace is over. The only eight that survived were the eight that was inside the ark. Can I tell you something, church? The door is quickly closing. I don't know when. And you don't know when. But I can for a fact tell you that the only people that's going to make it out of here in the rapture are those inside the ark. Are those that are ready. Those that are prepared. Listen folks. The door is soon to close. 
And when it closes, you better make sure you're on the right side of that door. Everything else you do in life is trivial. Everything else you do in life, it's as Paul said, I counted all as dung that I might win Christ. Listen, on that day, your job don't matter. Your 401k don't matter. Your, your position at work don't matter. Nothing matters. Are you born again? Oh, have you accepted Christ? And if you followed and sought after Him every day of your life, being as holy as you can be, that's all that matters. All that matters. Oh, there's ten virgins in this story. Five wise. Five were foolish. I don't know your situation this morning as we stand all over this building. I don't know where you are. I'm not your judge. If I was your judge, I'd give everyone I'd get past and say, welcome in. I don't have that power. There's only one that does. And you better make sure that you're right with him. If you're visiting with us this morning, you may feel something in your heart that you've never felt before. And you may feel God dealing with you about some things. I can tell you there's far more danger in brushing it aside than there is allowing Him to draw you to a place of repentance to where He can touch your life and change your life (laughs) and meet the needs of your life. Listen, Jesus Christ loved you so much that He endured the cross, that He endured the shame. He was beaten to a pulp so that you may receive Him and He may receive you and you can be ready to meet Him when He comes. I encourage you, whether you're sane in this house or whether you're the most vile, rotten sinner, this altar call is for you because we all must be ready. If you're here and you're not right with God, I implore you to come when the saints are coming to pray. We're going to make this as easy as we can for you. Amen. We're going to pray with you. We're going to pray for you. Amen. We believe the Lord is going to touch your life. Amen. For those that are saints of God, I think we all can shake off some complacency. The Lord's dealt with me just this week. I've been so caught up in election theft. And all of these things that's happening in my country, if we're not careful, even the most patriot one among us, it'll cause us to take our eyes off the main thing. I say unto thee, my child, I have spoken to thee. Thy word has gone forth. And I say unto thee that my spirit has gone forth to convict. Truly you have seen the anointing upon the vessel that I have used today. And I'm saying unto thee right now, this is the day of salvation. This is the time that you should move forward. I say unto thee that it is growing dim. And I'm saying that the night cometh. And where will thou be? God has spoken to us by His Spirit this morning to confirm His Word. Amen. I wonder if we all could find us a place to pray if you're not right with God.
come with these that are coming. If you're here, you are a Christian.